This morning's reading is from Judges chapter 13, page 256. Judges chapter 13, the birth of Samson. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me, he looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you'll become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who's to be born. God heard Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman when she was out in the field but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering, and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their faces on the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We've seen God. 
But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahania, Dan, between Zora and Eshtael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. Thank you, uh, Hesse, very much indeed for reading. Uh, or Abigail, as I now know you. I, Abigail was uh, the, looking after the Last Supper. Uh, she was the servant in the Easter experience, as you might have seen. So uh, uh, last week, uh, Abigail was there every day serving. And uh, uh, it was wonderful, actually, to be there for, for this Easter experience. In fact, last time I was here, um, so good morning, everybody. It's nice to, uh, to be here. I, sorry, I should have uh, said that. I'm John. It's nice to, to be with you, Emmanuel. Um, last time I was here, it was just after the Christmas journey. And this time I'm here just after the Easter experience. It's a, a joy to do that. And, and um, so last week we had, we had Hesse as, as Abigail and we had um, uh, Phil Cooper, scary. Phil, scary centurion. Uh, he made a few children cry, I think, or almost <laughs> cry. Uh, but uh, that, was, that was wonderful. And of course, Andrew as, as Peter. Um, it was a tremendous experience, and we are so thankful to God for that chance to, to share the gospel with nearly 450 children uh, last week. So praise God for that. It is uh, great to be here. I, I swapped with Bart, as you know. Um, Bart is at Christchurch this morning. Uh, he's already had the ministry of, of, of conviction. The Spirit normally convicts, doesn't he? Bart did, because I was, I was just coming across, and, uh, and as I was driving in my car, he was cycling towards me. <laughs> so we, I gave him a little wave and thought, oh... I should probably have been on my bike. But anyway, uh, I got here in the, in the car, and um, it is great to be uh, here. Greetings from, from Christchurch uh, this morning. Um, God's people always face the choice, don't they, of, of, of being either consecrated to God or compromised with the world. We're facing that challenge every day. It's either being fully consecrated. Uh, am I going to be all out for Jesus or, or am I going to be half-hearted with one foot in the, firmly planted in the world? It's a challenge that we, we're constantly facing uh, as a church, as, as individuals. Is my heart, my life, my plans, my, uh, my, my family consecrated to the Lord? Am I giving everything to, to him and to his purposes? Uh, or am I always looking around, drawn in by uh, the, the attractions of money and pleasure and, and the world? Am I consecrated or am I compromised? It's a question I think we want to be constantly asking ourselves as individuals, as a church. And today we're meeting this uh, man, Samson. Or at least in the last couple of verses, Samson appears, uh, is born. But this is the beginning of the next four chapters, which is the Samson saga, which will be known to you, I'm sure most of you, uh, well known. Uh, Samson is, of course, one of the most colourful Characters, isn't he, in the, in the Bible? Um, uh, the image I have is this sort of large, muscle-bound, hulking, sweating, long-haired sort of giant with the gates of Gaza on his back. Uh, he, is a, he is a sort of monster of, 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 um, of biblical literature. 
And, and as a small boy, of course, he is the hero. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're a small boy in Sunday school, I, I remember back, you know, there was Daniel and the lions, there's David killing Goliath, and then there's Samson, man of strength. He is the sort of one you want to, to, to be uh, like. And as we see from this first chapter, Samson is incredibly blessed. You know, his birth is predicted by an angel. He's got, he's got godly parents who, who love him greatly. He's uniquely dedicated, consecrated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And he experiences God's blessing, the power of God's spirit uh, on him as a young man. He's got everything, everything he has to be useful to God in his purposes. But if you know the story, as we read into the rest of the chapters, tragically, the next uh, part of his life, the rest of his life, is largely marked by spiritual compromise, by vengeance, by uh, lust, by selfishness, by arrogance, by stupidity. And it's only at the very end of the story that, uh, if you know, in his complete brokenness, as he realises he has failed so miserably, that Samson turns his heart back to God. And he consecrates him once, himself once more to a life uh, of trust and obedience. And it's in that moment that God uses him uh, in his death to, to deliver the people from the Philistines. You know, this, this Samson saga doesn't really make pretty reading uh, as we read through in these next chapters. But of course, the good news of this section, the good news of this uh, book of Judges, the good news of the whole Bible, of course, is that Samson isn't the hero. God is the hero. This isn't ultimately about Samson. It is about God. And this morning, I, I want us to, to see God more fully. I want us to understand more about him. Because it's only as we grasp who God is at his sovereign grace, of his amazing kindness to us, that we will be choosing to consecrate ourselves, give ourselves to him more fully and not be compromised by the world around us. So let's pray. Let's ask God to, to open our minds and our hearts to him this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning for your presence here with us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for giving us your word in our hands. We pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts that would be drawn to you and to the Lord Jesus, that we would consecrate ourselves in obedience to trust and faith and living for you, our great and awesome God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, sovereign, gracious God reveals himself, I think, in a number of ways in this chapter. Uh, they're there on the notice sheet. Um, let's look at those in turn. The first thing we see, I think, here is that, that God intervenes without being asked. This is our God. You, you, you'll probably remember the pattern if you've, uh, that runs throughout the book of Judges. Uh, I've sort of known it as the four R's. I don't know if that's been uh, how it's been explained, but there's, there's rebellion there's retribution, there's repentance, and then there's rescue. You know, God's people fall into sin, they rebel against God. Uh, God uh, brings them under judgment uh, and retribution. People invade and oppress them. Uh, in that place of darkness, they cry out to God. They realise that they've turned away and they cry out for, for in repentance. And then God graciously comes and rescues them. That's the, the pattern of judges. You've seen that uh, in these first 12 chapters, I'm sure. 
And, and it's because it's not just cyclical. This, it's, it's a downward spiral. It's been getting worse. The judges become more flawed. The people become more rebellious. Peace uh, becomes shorter. Oppression becomes longer. So in the first uh, uh, cycle, back in chapter 3, the people were occupied for eight years. Othniel delivers them. They have 40 years of peace. Uh, here we see, just at the end of chapter 12, there's eight years of peace and now 40 years of occupation and oppression. Do you see, things are, are getting worse. And in verse 1 we see the pattern. Uh, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, the people sin. God judges. They're delivered into the hands of the Philistines. They're oppressed. And then in verse 2, a certain man of Zorah, uh, it begins the process of God raising up another deliverer. But, but what's happened to step 3? There's no mention here, is there, of, of the people crying out to God. Uh, no mention of them recognising their desperate need. No mention of them seeking God from the darkness of oppression. Uh, it seems they've, they've become unresponsive. They've become hardened. They've become hopeless under Philistine oppression for 40 years. They're no longer crying out in repentance. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 15, verse 11, when Samson begins to, to do some things to uh, affect their situation... Uh, verse 11 of chapter 15 then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and they said to Samson don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us what have you done to us it seems that they are totally now uh, sold out to the Philistines being in charge they're totally uh, compromised with Philistine culture Uh, they're being shaped they've perhaps even grown comfortable living under the Philistines. Uh, Zorah, the city of Zorah, was a town actually right on the edge of the border with Philistia. And I imagine it was a town that had become now fully Philistinized. It it had been, they'd accepted their their religion and their uh, ways and their culture and uh, they'd become fully enmeshed and indistinguishable from the world around them. And of course, that is a danger, isn't it, for us? It's a danger for the church. It's the danger for every Christian uh, that we become just like the world, that the world uh, uh, seeks in, seeps in, seeps into our lives, seeps into the church, so we become almost indistinguishable from uh, the world around us, so comfortable that we hardly notice it in our lives, how worldly we've become, how so much like the world we've become. Uh, as the world invades. It's one of being the strengths, isn't it, uh, of, of this terrible, terrible situation in Ukraine and, and, the, and the Russians coming in, and, but seeing that some of the Ukrainians say, we are going to resist, we're going to resist to death, we're going to stand firm, we are not going to be, uh, be taken over. And for us as church, as us as Christians, the, the world comes in, the world seeks to invade us and, and, and say, no, we're not going to, allow the world to shape us and change us and and become uh, just like the world. As it seems that that is what has happened here to uh, the people of Israel. They don't even cry out to God. 
But here we see, don't we, God's grace in all its glory. And this is what this book is all about. As the situation darkens, God's grace shines all the more brightly. See, he doesn't wait to be asked. He intervenes uh, to rescue them because he loves them. Because he's faithful to his promises. God is, uh, uh, it's God's initiative. And it's always God's initiative in our salvation, isn't it? As we think about it at the, at the cross, at communion. Now, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God takes the initiative. God uh, does the, the work, even when we're not interested. Of course, it's true, isn't it? We'd all be in the gutter if it wasn't for God uh, taking the initiative. He doesn't wait till we're good enough. He doesn't wait till we cry out. Uh, he, he does it without being asked. C.S. Lewis described God as the transcendental interferer. Transcendental interferer. God gets involved. God gets stuck in because it's his world. He does it on his terms. And thank goodness for that. He knows that human hearts grow hard and insensitive, that more often than not we are, uh, capitulate to sin and selfishness. God in his grace, as one commentator writes it, his grace is greater than all our sin, our, our stupidity, all our density. However much the world will invade us and however much we capitulate to it, God doesn't wait. He, he is sovereign and he interferes and intervenes. And, and so that's what we see here in, in chapter 13, the beginning of this Samson story. Uh, they're not crying out, but God isn't going to let go of his people. And so he starts to intervene. And so, uh, uh, secondly, uh, uh, the truth is that God makes it clear that it's his work. He's the one who's going to intervene, and it's clearly his work. Because he chooses, do you see, this nameless, barren, childless woman as the vehicle uh, uh, for raising up his deliverer. It may be that the baroness is intended to, think, to, to sort of symbolise the empty, spiritually compromised, fruitless Israel. I've got that. I don't know if he's. Oh, he's, took it, he's taken his dead branch away. If I'm going to, I've got it here, so I'm going to go and bring it. Dead, fruitless branch, Israel. And, and let's not forget Jesus' warning. If he takes out the branches of Israel, how quickly he could take them out from us if we compromise as a church. If as a church we uh, don't bear fruit, we become barren. Uh, here's a warning. Uh, and, and, and so maybe that's what, uh, what God is doing here, but he's, he, the point is uh, God does the impossible. He does his work for his glory. And so throughout biblical history, time and time again, uh, he, he loves taking uh, the barren, childless woman and using her for the, bringing the, the deliverer, the next stage of his salvation purposes. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, Rebecca, the mother of Jacob, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. This is God wanting to say, this is my work. This is my work. I'm in charge of this. I'm going to deliver you. And so here is Manoah's wife, a wonderful woman of faith, as we see, I think, in these verses. But we don't even learn her name. It's out of human obscurity and, and hopelessness that God uh, brings his deliverer. 
his work. No human energy or ability. Uh, this is his awesome, great power and mercy. And he wants us to lift our eyes to him, to recognise that. Uh, our trust is in God who works, not in horses and chariots, as the Psalms say, not in our bank balance or in our abilities or in our gifts. Or uh, Our trust is in Christ alone, in God's work through Christ. He intervenes without being asked. He, he makes clear it's his work of, of deliverance. Uh, and then he, he sets apart this deliverer. So uh, verse 5, you will become pregnant, he says to Manoah's wife, and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb, and he'll take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And it's not a, a voluntary contract, Samson is not going to be choosing to be a Nazarite. God is setting him apart as a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite, is in case you, you know, it's not a Nazarene. That's not someone from Nazareth. Uh, but a Nazarite was someone uh, in Numbers chapter 6 that God had said, uh, if you want to choose to set yourself apart as a Nazarite, uh, you, to, to, to devote yourselves to my purposes, then, then you can do that. And there's some rules that go along with it. You don't cut your hair. Uh, you don't... Um, drink any alcohol, and uh, you don't go anywhere near dead bodies. They were the three sort of rules. And people would choose to do that for a certain time of complete devotion to God. Uh, Paul did it in, in, the, in the book of Acts for a time, and people would devote themselves. And that was brilliant. Full consecration. That's the whole point. They were consecrating, devoting, committing themselves to God's purposes. And, and you know, there's the hair... Yeah, some of us some of would be less challenged by the, the hair cutting, wouldn't they, and the long hair looking around. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but all of us would be challenged by that devotion to God, uh, that commitment to God. But here Samson is being set apart by God from birth. He's not choosing to do this. This is uh, something that God is choosing for him. Uh, he's set apart as a deliverer. And as we, as we think of Samson, of course, we are pointed, we are deliberately pointed to, to the Lord Jesus, set apart by God as deliverer from birth. Of course, they stand in huge contrast to one another, as we'll see. Samson is a, a, you know, breaks his Nazarite vows almost straight away. He, he begins to deliver the people from the Philistines, um, but, but it's not until the time of King David that the Philistines are driven out altogether. Jesus, on the other hand, perfectly obedient to his Father, fully consecrated. And his deliverance will not be a partial deliverance from the Philistines, but a complete deliverance from the powers of sin and death and judgment. God sets apart a deliverer. Here he's setting apart Samson, as it points us to the Lord Jesus and his choosing to set apart for us a deliverer. God intervenes even when his people aren't interested. He, he, he makes clear it's his work, this work of salvation, as he sets apart uh, a deliverer from birth, Samson. And then we, we see that God reveals all that we, we need to know. Uh, you see, Mrs. Manoah goes and tells her husband what's happened. He's had this visitor uh, and whether Manoah needs confirmation for himself, or he doesn't really believe his wife, or more likely he, he realises that there's a, he's got a special 
son on the way and he needs some advice on how to, to do it. And so uh, he, he prays and he asks God to send the same man to come back, teach them how to bring Samson up. And verse 99, we see, if you want to look down, God heard Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. It's just a reminder, isn't it? God hears the simple prayer of a simple man. Uh, Lord, I need to know more. Uh, I need to know uh, for myself. And God answers the prayer. Uh, the man comes back. Manoah's not there, but he comes running. Uh, and he comes running with his notebook and pen because he wants to know how he's going to raise this child. God has promised his barren wife a child. Uh, now he needs to know how he's going to raise him. Uh, and so he has all his questions Verse 12, Manoah asks, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? And it seems to me Manoah and his wife settle back. They've got their notebooks and their pens ready for the parenting class. How are we going to raise this boy that you're going to give to us? And uh, it reminds me of, of parenting class. I'm sure you've run parenting classes here or been them in them yourself. We used to have a, a lady called Anne Benton who used to come. I expect some of you might know her, uh, John Benton. I think I saw some notes, came and spoke at one of your weekends. Uh, Anne was an amazing, formidable lady, if you've, you've known her. She's a bit scary in some ways. Um, but, uh, but brilliant with, with children. And she, she's written a book called um, Aren't They Lovely When They're Asleep? <laughs> you know, it's just a great book, isn't it? Aren't they lovely when they're asleep? And um, so you know, she would come to our church for two or three evenings. And, and, and you know, we'd all be there with our pens and our notebooks. And we'd be sort of funny, you know, Every word of wisdom for raising children will be sort of noted down. And, and I can imagine them here. They're sort of waiting. Well, here's a, this special man. I don't think he realises who he is yet, but Manoah's got his pen and his paper and he's waiting to, how shall I uh, raise this child that you're talking about? And, and he doesn't say anything else than he's already said. He just says, well, your wife must do all that I've told her. I've told you already, he's going to be a Nazarite. He's not to drink. He's not to, uh, to cut his hair. Uh, that's all you need to know. Uh, and now you just need to obey it. And you know, I'm sure they would have loved to know more. They would have wanted to know more. That's why he, had his, he, was, he was waiting. Uh, and, and yet, the angel says, that's all you need to know. She just needs to obey. And I think you know, that's brought out when Noah asks the man to stay for dinner. He asks him for his name. Verse 17, the Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honour you when your word comes true? And the man responds, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. It could be translated, it is wonderful. My name is wonderful. But the point is that it's, it's wonderfully, it's too wonderful for you to get into your little finite mind. It's too great for you to understand. Don't, don't even think you could possibly understand uh, fully uh, who I am. Uh, but you've got enough. You just seem to need to, to obey. Now, there's some debate about who this angel of the Lord is. Some people read the Old Testament and say the angel of the Lord is clearly the, 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 you know, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Uh, it's the second person of the Trinity before he takes on human flesh who appears as an angel uh, and, and, and in some ways uh, that's very appealing. Uh, others say, look, no, it's just it's an angel, it's made clear it's an angel, but it's a special angel with the special authority of God who appears uh, with all that authority like an ambassador uh, appearing. Either way, 
he makes the point it's beyond understanding. Your little finite human mind can never possibly understand the awesome glory and greatness of God. He reminds Minot of this inscrutability of, of God, the mystery that, that there is around God, uh, too wonderful for us to behold. But God has revealed what he needs to know. And that is always the truth. You know, God reveals enough for us what we need to know, not what we'd like to know, not what we'd love to, to, to understand a bit more about, but it means we can, we can know him, not fully, exclusively, ex- exhaustively, but he reveals what we need to know. I, I love um, that, that, that verse. One of my favourite verses in all the Bible is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, you don't need to look it up now, but, but it's, just, it's easy to remember because it's 29, 29. But uh, you know, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children, that we might obey all the words of the law. It's just a, it's just a wonderful verse. Uh, in fact, I remember Dick Lucas telling me that, uh, that verse once because I think it was one of his favourites. You know, there's, there's secret things that we'll never understand because we're little human beings and we're finite and small and, and God doesn't need, he knows we don't need to know. Uh, but the things that are revealed, the things we have in the Scriptures, the things that God has shown to us are for us and for our children. And why are they given? Well, he says, so that you may obey all the things written in the words of the law. So, so, so here's Manoah and his wife. Uh, they'd love to know more about this child and how they should raise him, but, but God is saying, I've, I've, this is enough. You've had enough to get on. What you need to do is obey. You need to do is devote yourself to obedience. Lastly, uh, God produces then, we see, uh, fear and faith. Um, at this time, you know, Manoah thinks he's just still speaking to a kind of regular bloke, or at least a special bloke, but, but he's just a bloke. And, 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 and then he makes this sacrifice that the, he tells him to make, sacrifice to the Lord, and the man spectacularly ascends in the flame. I mean, that must be pretty awesome, mustn't it, to see this man who he'd been talking to, thinking he was just a guy with his notebook and pen, ready to take parenting classes, and then he disappears up in the flame. He realises he's been in the in the very presence of God. And so he cries out, verse 22, we're doomed to die. We've seen God. And in one sense, he's absolutely right. This is a right response. He's aware that to, to be in the very presence of God, a holy, awesome God, uh, is, is to, to be a terrible, fearful thing. He, God had warned Moses, you can't see me or you'll die. And here he's saying, look, we've seen God. And, and maybe we need that kind of corrective if we have a tendency to, to think of God in an over-familiar, over-complacent uh, way. If we're compromised by the world, and then God is just a thing that's sort of attached into the rest of our life, along with the world and all the other things that we go on. Maybe we need a, a, a corrective like this. Uh, and Manoah says, oh, we've seen God, we're going to die. Remember Peter, he sees Jesus act with divine power in Luke chapter 5. He falls on his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He realises he's in the presence of God. You see, when John, in Revelation chapter 1, sees the vision of the risen Jesus, what does he do? He falls flat on his face in fear. And so in one sense, Manoah is right in his response, isn't he, to the, to the living God, filled with fear. 
And yet, as, as many of us men know, some of you will be here, it is very good thing, it's a very good thing to have a sensible wife. You know, a wife with her head screwed on, uh, a wife with faith. So verse 23, his wife answered, look, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. You know, say, Come on, Manoah, she's saying. You know, really? We're going to die? I mean, God has just told us we're going to have a son. And he told us to do this sacrifice. And we've done a sacrifice. Yeah, he's not going to kill us now. These are, these are words of reasonable faith. A faith that has listened to God's promise and a faith that is responding and acting on the basis of that promise. And so look, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's true, isn't it, in Scripture? We need to be aware of our own sin. We need to tremble rightly in his presence, to know God, to, to fear him rightly as we understand his holiness and purity and, 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 and righteousness. But then our faith takes hold of his promises. Our faith takes hold of his word that he has revealed to us. And it looks to Jesus. It looks to the cross. It looks to the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And so by his wonderful grace, even with all our flaws and failings, we live not in fear and anxiety, but we live with a humble, powerful confidence in him and in his promises and his word. And so the child is born. Here he is, Mr. and Mrs. Manoah, uh, verse 24. Uh, these models of fear and faith, they, they have their son. And they call him Samson. Uh, we've, we've met him at last. His, ma- his name, Samson, means son or brightness. Uh, and not surprisingly, this kind of an expression of great personal joy. It would be, wouldn't it, for a childless couple who've, who longed for a child. They now have a child and there's and a great expression of, of joy. Here is our brightness. And it's a cause of rejoicing for the people who are, who are under oppression for 40 years of the Philistines. Here's our, our deliverer has been born. This is a cause of brightness. And we see that he grew and the Lord blessed him. Verse 25, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. It is also promising, isn't it? God is in control. Samson, the deliverer, has been born. And Samson's going to be turned out to be, to be such a disappointment in so many ways, to break his vows, to be deeply flawed. But God will accomplish his purposes. God will be faithful to his promises. God will save a people who are asking to be saved. Uh, He'll take the initiative. He'll set apart his deliverer. He'll reveal all that they and we need to know that leads to holy fear and trusting faith. Well, in a moment, we're going to come to share in communion together. We're going to come to the, to the, to the place of God's deliverance in, in our minds and in our hearts, the place of our salvation. And we're going to come to remember the cross, to look to Jesus, to put our whole trust in him. And the question for each of us is, is, is will we do that this morning? Will we put our whole trust in this God who has made that deliverance a possibility. At the foot of the cross, God calls us to consecrate ourselves again to him, to repent of the ways that we've allowed the world to shape us, uh, to repent of our spiritual compromise, of our self-centeredness, 
the foot of the cross, we're called to ourselves again, give our heart and soul and mind and strength to trusting and living and serving God. We're called to say, I'm going to tremble in your presence, but I'm going to trust your promises. And I'm going to seek to obey your commands. Will we do that this morning? Will you in your heart re-consecrate yourself to the, to the living God? Well, that's my prayer uh, for you, as it is for myself. And, and not just this morning as we gather around the Lord's table, but, but tomorrow morning when we get up uh, for a new day. And the day after that. And the day after that. That we would keep listening and responding and obeying, consecrated to the Lord. Let me do this in a short prayer. Just a moment of quiet, perhaps for each of us here to do that in our own hearts. To consecrate ourselves again to the Lord. And then I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder of your wonderful faithfulness to your promises. To a people that weren't looking for you, you came looking for them. For God who weren't crying out for deliverance, you raised up a deliverer. And Father, in many ways, we are those people. And so this morning we pray again that you would shape our hearts, you would draw us to yourself, that in our repentance and faith we would return again to you, the Lord, and then that we would live lives of obedience and faith. <coughs> Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.